Good morning, everyone. I'm Russell. If we haven't met before, please grab your Bibles now and open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, whether you've got a hard copy Bible, Bibles, there's uh, some on the uh, table at the entrance over there. Or if you're using an electronic device, please open to 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 1. Before we read, I'm going to lead us in prayer, uh, a prayer that I'm planning on praying every Sunday as we work uh, through this series uh, together. Maybe it'll be a prayer that we come to remember and know and pray often uh, for ourselves and for one another. Let's pray. Uh, Our God, uh, please remove from us our pride and self-confidence And in their place put poverty of spirit, hunger for you, rigorous study of your word, white-hot devotion to Jesus Christ, and utter indifference to all worldly gain. Jesus, show us your glory. Holy Spirit, give us grit for perseverance. Father, overflow your grace from us to one another. In Jesus' great and powerful name we pray, amen. Feel what this passage has to say about comfort and trouble. And to help you do that, I want to encourage an exercise as we read. Whenever we come across a word of trouble or distress in this passage, you might like to clench your hands. If you're holding your Bible or your device or the hand of the person next to you, come across a word that has something to do with trouble or distress, just tighten your grip a little bit. You can even reach out and hold somebody's hand if you're not already doing that. If you don't know them, please introduce yourself first before you do that. Whenever we come across a word of comfort, loosen that grip a little bit. Breathe out. If you're somebody who in a time of stress or anxiety you clench your jaw or grind your teeth, that's what you might do when you come across the trouble and distress words. And when you come across the comfort and compassion words, just relax a little bit. Feel what this passage has to say about trouble and comfort. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God in Corinth, together with all his holy people throughout Archaea, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ 
so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Now this is our boast. Our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so, relying not on worldly wisdom, but on God's grace. For we do not write you anything you cannot read or understand. And I hope that, as you have understood us in part, you will come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. Because I was confident of this. I wanted to visit you first so that you might benefit twice. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and then to have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I fickle when I intended to do this? Or do I make my plans in a worldly manner so that in the same breath I say both yes, yes and no, no? But as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes. For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him the Amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. A moment ago we read from Exodus. Uh, New Life Kids, this term are looking at Exodus and Numbers and Deuteronomy as God's Old Testament people, the Israelites, were journeying from Egypt to the Promised Land. God had taken them out of slavery in Egypt, led them through the wilderness, and over many years they are on their way to the Promised Land. Their experience on that journey 
their experience in the wilderness was uncomfortable. At many points, they wanted to go back to Egypt. The Israelites complained to Moses. They longed to be comfortable back in Egypt. We're going to hear a little bit more of that as we continue reading those Old Testament passages in the weeks to come. Jesus recognised that life in this age is uncomfortable. Jesus warned those who were following him, his disciples, that life in this age is uncomfortable. At one time, as Jesus was teaching about the cost of discipleship, the cost of following him, the cost of being on Jesus' mission, he said, foxes have dens, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Jesus recognises that life in this age is uncomfortable. Now, as I reflect on my own life, the culture round about us, the pursuit that captivates us, even without thinking much about it, could call this the great Australian middle-class dream. We pursue what is comfortable. We work hard so that we might be comfortable. The things that we buy, the things that we long to buy, think about the things that you have bought this week or the things that you have put on your wish list devices, electronic things, gadgets that make life more comfortable for us. A large part of our working life, maybe I'm feeling this being on the other side of 40 now, a large part of our working life is focused on a retirement and planning for a retirement that is comfortable and having enough in our retirement that we might be comfortable Many parents and grandparents of ours devoted their lives to giving us a comfortable life. Did you have a parent or a grandparent who you heard them say or by the way that they lived, they were working so that you might have the comfortable life that they didn't have? Here's how one person puts it. My parents were very hard-working people who did everything they could for their children. They worked dog-hard to give us an education and provide us with the most comfortable life possible. Former Prime Minister John Howard had a vision for Australia that, that he laid out early in 1996 uh, before he was uh, voted in as Prime Minister. In, a, in an extended interview uh, with Four Corners in 1996, he said that his vision for Australia, his vision is for Australians to be comfortable and relaxed about the past. For Australians to be comfortable and relaxed in the present. For Australians to have a comfortable and relaxed hope for the future. 
I wonder if that vision in part was what saw him serve as one of the longest prime ministers in recent times. The great aspiration of Australian culture is to be comfortable. Do you feel that? Not necessarily always so aware of it, but comfortable and being comfortable is a pursuit for us. Now, as I've been reading 2 Corinthians, my pursuit of comfortable is being unsettled. From a Christian perspective, with a Christian worldview, being someone who knows and longs to follow Jesus, 2 Corinthians unsettles the Aussie pursuit of comfortable. Because sincere Christianity is uncomfortable. As we're going to be reading through 2 Corinthians, we'll see that the sincere Christianity that the Apostle Paul talks about, the sincere Christianity that he talks about and observes in, in, in the church at Corinth, the sincere Christianity that he, he calls them to is a Christianity that attracts suffering. It's a Christianity that knows persecution. It's a Christianity that has trouble, that is weak, that is vulnerable, that is messy, that is conflicted. I feel like I need to put a warning on this sermon series. If you want a comfortable life, stay away from Jesus. The Apostle Paul knows what it is to be uncomfortable because of following Jesus. The very first thing that he talks about here in this letter is trouble and suffering. How many words did you notice when we were reading? How many times did you squeeze and relax the hand of the person next to you? How many more molars have you ground down at the back of your jaw in those first several verses? Trouble, suffer, distress, great pressure, despairing of life itself, sentence of death, deadly peril. There are some of the words that Paul has used. Paul's story is full of being uncomfortable. And Paul knows the Corinthian story too. Uh, Corinth in the first century, is an, a large trade city. It is affluent. It was a, 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 mic, a, a place of mixed cultures and mixed ethnicities, around about the size of Adelaide is today. But life for Christians there, though many of them would have been middle class by the standards of that day, some richer, some poorer. Life for Christians in first century Corinth is uncomfortable. There was the threat of danger from outside uh, the churches, the, the, the threat of suffering, the danger of persecution... They knew people who were put in prison because they were following after Jesus. 
They knew people who had their property confiscated because they had come to put their faith in Jesus. They knew people who were killed for following after Jesus. They knew the breakdown of relationships that came with that, the suspicion of knowing whether someone was for you or against you. The Christians in Corinth knew that. And at the same time, there was the threat for them inside the church, the threat that ungodliness brings, the threat of living amongst a people who are sinners, immorality and its impact on one another, competitiveness, conflict. And Paul writes this letter to them to assure them that being uncomfortable is not less than Christian. But being uncomfortable is genuinely Christian. Sincere Christianity doesn't pursue being comfortable, but knows God's comfort. I've called it uncomfortable comfort. And you'll see that heading all the way through your outline today if you're using that inside the news sheet. Uncomfortable comfort. It's a comfort that comes from God in the midst of life being uncomfortable. This is what Paul talks about in verses 3 to 7. This is the comfort that he talks about. See how much he does? It's an overwhelming word that he uses. Comfort, 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 comfort. It's an overwhelming word because for Paul it is an overwhelming reality. It's not just a theological hope or spiritual mindset that he's hoping to, if he says it enough times, it'll become real. He says it again and again and again and again because it is real. It's real for him and it will be real for all who come into contact with someone who knows God's comfort. Let's read those verses again. Verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. Now the, way we sh- we're, we're the place where we should get our concept of being fatherly and being compassionate is from God. Right through the Old Testament, particularly in the prophet Isaiah though, has this vision and view of God who is the one who comforts, the one who is tender, the one who protects, the one who brings relief, the one who brings comfort. Praise be to this God, verse 4, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. 
If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm, because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. Uh, Paul is talking about the, the, the sufferings of Christ, that Christ came and lived and died that he was crucified on the cross, that on the cross he bore the guilt and shame and penalty for sin, that in that suffering there is great comfort for us. And Paul says that when you know that comfort, when he knows that comfort, it stirs up a compassion inside of us that is shared with others. I was up in Sydney at the end of uh, this week and stayed overnight at a, at a small Christian conference centre. I was having breakfast on my own in the dining room that was there. And uh, a, a number of people who come and stay at this Christian conference centre are from out of town who are in Sydney for medical appointments and tests and things like that. It's set up as kind of a bit of a traveller's hostel. There was a lady there the other morning on the table just across from me, Friday morning, who was Skyping, phoning, FaceTiming, whatever it was, her, her daughter who was about 1,200 kilometres away to, to uh, uh, share with her the results of her test that she had the day before. It, it was a sad story that she needed to report uh, to her daughter. An elderly lady here on her own, her, her daughter was crying, uh, she was crying, she, she was upset. On the other side of me, there was a, another lady, reading a Bible, eating a cornflakes, kind of like I was doing, who just immediately got up and went over and sat with this lady. Didn't say anything at that time, just sat next to her while she shared this news with her daughter. She didn't have any great words of wisdom or spiritual insight, but I could tell that she knew God's comfort and she just sat with this other lady. And it was like she was just oozing comfort. But it wasn't just the comfort of her presence. The source of that comfort is, is God and what they both know of God. And so trouble we see here in verse 8 to 11 points us to the source of comfort, God. Now, for Paul, trouble was intense. Verse 8, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. Now, when Paul says we here, he's talking about himself and Timothy, back up in verse 1, who's writing this letter. Listen to the kind of trouble that they faced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. 
But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril and He will deliver us again. On Him we have set our hope that He will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted us in answer to the prayers of many. You see, in the midst of Paul's trouble, Paul and Timothy's trouble... This happened, verse 9, so that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. Trouble points us to the source of comfort, points us to God, so that we might set our hope on God. God's comfort overflows from those who have set their hope on God. Now, from some perspectives, this will look weak and foolish, relying on God's grace turns these perspectives upside down. Verse 12, now this is our boast, our conscience testifies that we have conducted ourselves in the world and especially in our relations with you with integrity and godly sincerity. We have done so relying not on worldly wisdom but on God's grace. Paul is suggesting that if he was to follow worldly wisdom, that if he was to follow what the world holds up as wise or strong or impressive, he would not do what he does. But we rely on God's grace. Verse 13, for we do not write you anything you cannot read and understand and I hope that as you have understood us in part, you'll come to understand fully that you can boast of us just as we will boast of you in the day of the Lord Jesus. God's comfort overflows from those who rely on God's grace, not on what is impressive, not as what is seemingly wise, not on what is measured as strong in the world. The week before last, I was at the business meetings of the Presbyterian Church for New South Wales and ACT. Uh, There was a real buzz around hearing of what God is doing in churches uh, round about New South Wales and the ACT what God is doing through the organisations connected to our churches. There was a real theme of health, healthy churches, healthy leadership, healthy congregations, healthy organisations, healthy Christian schools, healthy aged care facilities. There was a real buzz around about that. Speaker after speaker after speaker got up and he went, wow, these people are impressive of who they are and what God is doing through them. Somebody, some of them leading ministry organisations worth thousands and even millions of dollars. But one of the speeches that stood out to me was from an aged care chaplain. Nobody lines up in the corridors to chat with him. He's not constantly being invited or bought coffees 
around the assembly meetings to say, hey, we should catch up. Tell me about your ministry. I want to know what's going on in your church. Can you help me here with this? He shared in front of the assembly about his ministry that in worldly standards does not look wise nor impressive. Most of his days are spent in nursing homes, sitting alongside people who might be confused, perhaps unable to speak. He holds their hand and he assures them of God's presence and God's comfort with them. He said most of his days stink, literally. He is like the Apostle Paul, not relying on worldly wisdom or what is impressive, but God's comfort overflows from those who rely on God's grace. We need to move on to verses 15 to 22. Paul's authenticity as apostle was being questioned by some of the leaders at Corinth. As we go through 2 Corinthians, we'll get more of the historical background and what is going on. But some of the leadership of Corinth was, was stirring up the churches in Corinth, these groups of house churches, to be embarrassed, to be embarrassed by Paul's weakness and suffering. Because of the, the, the difficulties that he was going through, his plans to visit them and come and go had, had changed. They scoffed at that. But what Paul wants us to see is that his anchor point in life is God's certain faithfulness. He says there in verse 15, I was confident of this, I wanted to visit you so that you might benefit twice, I wanted to visit you, verse 18, but as surely as God is faithful, our message to you is not yes and no, for the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preached among you by us, by me and Silas and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him it has always been yes, for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ, and so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us, and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Paul's anchor point in life is God's certain faithfulness. Knowing that no matter what happens, God is his secure reference point. That he can stand firm in who God is and God's faithfulness. That for the Corinthians, they too can know God's faithfulness. What or who is the anchor point for your life? Do you know steadiness? And security. Uh, while I was at Bible college, I had a summer job uh, working for a, a, um, a geotechnical engineering company. I had been trained in it, 
previously. Uh, but this simple summer job was to be on a construction site uh, where there's these multi-storey basements and rock anchors were being installed uh, to secure this basement uh, area. I think it was about 23, 25 metres underground, this great big excavation. And it was my job to make sure that the rock anchors being projected back into the rock walls were being installed to specification. Some of them were 8 metres long, some of them 16 metres long, some of them had to be even longer. And it was my job to make sure that they were being installed to specification. Hundreds of them. And they were. But being the kind of inquisitive person that I am, and being a bored Bible college student on summer holidays, I thought I would read the geological and geotechnical reports on the site. And while reading them, I could see that while the rock anchors were being installed to specification, the specifications were wrong. Uh, The the rock anchors were being installed, the 8 metres or the 16 metres, but the actual rock that the anchor needed to be installed in was further away than that. Anchors are only good if they are secured to something that is sure and steady. Who is the anchor point for your life? God's comfort steadies those who stand firm in God's faithfulness. Now, we've called this sermon series Glory, Grit and Grace. I think this is a slogan for sincere Christianity, persevering through the uncomfortable, yet knowing God's comfort, uncomfortable comfort. We should expect... Christian living to be uncomfortable. In the same conference centre that I was in on Friday, there was a gathering there of Indigenous church leaders from all over Australia. But their purpose of gathering there was to have uh, meetings of mediation. I heard a little bit about their story that this heart-wrenching conflict which had broken out in one of their churches, had now spread out into their whole network that was tearing apart families and churches and their whole mission for Jesus. There had been misrepresentation and misunderstanding. And as I heard and even overheard a little bit, some of the things that were going on for them could see that it was so uncomfortable for them to try and work through this. They must have been thinking at different times how uncomfortable it is for them to actually stay together, that it would be easier just to part their ways. On Friday, I caught up with a friend who's just returned from Germany uh, where with their family uh, several years ago were involved in church planting in Germany. Uh, the church that they planted there in one of the cities has mostly grown among Afghani refugees. And as they went to visit them in, over the last couple of weeks, they could see just how difficult life is for Afghani Christian refugees living in an affluent city in Germany. 
They struggle with the language. They struggle with finances. They struggle making sense of culture. They struggle in keeping their families together. They have great uncertainty about the future. And my friend said on Friday as we were having coffee, I just don't know why they keep following Jesus when life is so uncomfortable. Now you and I are going to go through times where life is uncomfortable. We've gone through times in life that are uncomfortable. We are going through times in life that are uncomfortable. I want to say uncomfortable as a word hardly captures how hard and overwhelming life can be, does it? Have a look back at verse 8. I'm going to invite you to do something here that's a little bit vulnerable. You don't have to do this. But trust that you're amongst friends, amongst people who know God's comfort and where we want to share God's comfort. I wonder if in a moment, when I read these verses, you'd like to put your hand up if these words describe a time that you've been through or going through right now. We're not going to think any differently of you. Well, we are going to think differently. <laughs> We're going to go, wow. There are so many people among us who really go through times of life that is uncomfortable, that is just like what Paul describes here. I'm not the only one. Verse 8. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so we despaired of life itself we felt we had received the sentence of death. Do you want to put your hand up if that describes your life or or, or a time that you've been through? I wish I could wave a magic wand. I wish I could wave it over us right now and make comfort immediate for every single person that has put their hand up and for those who don't feel comfortable putting their hand up. I wish I could wave a wand or perhaps a more Christianly type thing. I wish I could read a Bible verse that would bring instant comfort to us or compose a prayer that injects real comfort into any situation. How does God comfort us? The indigenous aunties that I heard going through mediation last week, they learn of God's comfort as they persevere through the uncomfortable. 
They fix their eyes on the glory of Jesus. God's spirit is giving them grit to persevere. And God's grace to them is overflowing in their lives as they seek to show grace to others around them. And as they keep at that and keep at that and keep at that, they are knowing God's comfort. Afghani brothers and sisters in Germany, they learn comfort as they persevere through the uncomfortable. They fix their eyes on the glory of Jesus. The Spirit is giving them grit to persevere. And God's grace to them is overflowing in their lives so that they might live out the same grace. And so for us, as we are uncomfortable, we will learn God's comfort as we keep fixing our eyes on the glory of Jesus. Fixing our eyes on the glory of heaven and looking forwards to that. Jesus gives us his, his spirit to keep building in us the grit of perseverance to be remaining faithful to him. And we will know God's grace to us as we overflow with grace to one another. I read this in an article sometime in the last couple of weeks of somebody who was being quite vulnerable and honest about their pursuit of comfort. And this person says, I am more terrified of living a comfortable life in a self-serving society and failing to follow Jesus than I am of illness and tragedy. I've been reflecting now for a couple of weeks of whether that is true for me. What am I more terrified of? Sickness? Illness? Or tragedy? Or more terrified of pursuing what is comfortable but failing to follow Jesus? More than we pursue being comfortable... We pursue knowing God's comfort. Sincere Christianity is uncomfortable, but we will know comfort, uncomfortable comfort.